0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Daniel Gallen, and we are fresh out of Beaver Stadium, where we just watched Penn State dominate the Maryland Terrapins to the tune of a 30-to-nothing victory. Sends these Nittany Lions to 8-2 and on the season. A trip to Rutgers up next, the return home for the regular season finale against Michigan State. But certainly that 10-win season that we discussed going into November, very well within reach. and, And they get it going here in a month where we wondered what the response would be off an Ohio State loss, what the motivation would be. And they have trounced a couple inferior opponents. And this was a Maryland squad that is what, eight days removed from having hopes that they'd be a top 25 team. And they looked absolutely out of their level. At Beaver Stadium this evening.
2: Definitely. Uh, Penn State is on the cusp of sweeping the alma maters. Uh, I think that there's a a good chance that that'll that'll happen next week. Um, But, yeah, I think that we both saw Penn State winning by double digits. We saw them covering that spread. Uh, We wouldn't be surprised if they put up some points on Maryland, but I didn't think it would be in this sort of dominant fashion. Uh, This is two weeks in a row where we've seen Penn State just go up against an absolutely overmatched offense, uh whereas last week it looked like a very clear talent advantage um against Indiana like the the quarterback play was not there um it was just totally overmatched from start to finish on paper Maryland was a much better matchup and you know, in pregame warmups we see Joey Porter Jr on the sideline in street clothes and you look at that Maryland wide receiver core and you think they might be able to do something but on the first uh First series of the game, Zane Durant comes up with a third down sack, and I think that that just really set the tone. Uh, That that was the first of six, three and outs for the Penn State defense, and
1: Maryland just could not do anything today. And those sacks, the, the tackles for loss, they came in bunches last week, and that momentum carried over against Maryland. Seven sacks Uh, back-to-back weeks with six-plus sacks, uh, according to James Franklin, for the first time for this program in in about 15 years. Uh, And and you look at the ability uh, to get after Tonga Bailoa over the course of this matchup, and he's a guy who put up some really impressive numbers, once in a victory here in Beaver Stadium and empty Beaver Stadium in 2020. And then last year, he put up almost 400 passing yards, uh, had a costly interception, but Today you looked at his numbers, uh, and and I think he had 20 yards at halftime. He finished 11 of 12 for 74 yards. Uh, they put in the, the, the younger backup, Edwards, uh, as this game got out of hand late. But this was a matchup where we figured he would test his secondary. I talked about Joey Porter getting an opportunity to, to face some passes over the course of this matchup. And starting with what they were able to accomplish up front against the Maryland offensive line that, unlike Penn State's offensive line, did not have answers – that they needed because of injuries. Um, it was a – from start to finish, as you referenced, Zane Durant getting that, that sack, that, that helped bury Maryland early. I mean, it was a 27-0 game at halftime. It finishes 30 to nothing, and it was just complete domination because Penn State was able to run the ball early. We'll talk about that. But defensively, it was three and out, three and out, three and out. I believe Maryland had three possessions that went 20 yards or more and this was a matchup that we figured they'd be on the rebound after a poor performance at Wisconsin. They've got a lot to figure out through the Terrapins, but we can say this Manny Diaz, this defensive unit, um, new faces continue to pop up there, and we'll get to that in a moment. But they have certainly found something here in November uh, that's working for them. And, and it's tremendous because this is a defensive line group, Daniel, that had two total sacks in the month of October. I think now they're right around 10 sacks for that defensive line here through two games in November. It's the kind of progress you want to see uh, in a group that's hitting its stride against the kind of opponents you want to be able to have and showcase that edge against.
2: I mean, I was really wrong about this Maryland offense. I looked at what they did last week against Wisconsin with Talia tunga at 10 of 23 for 77 yards. And I thought there was no way it would be that bad again. But then you turn around with 11 of 22 for 74 yards um, it was just not not pretty football out there. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to that Penn State pass rush to that defensive line. Um, Chop Robinson had two sacks against his former team. Um, you know, Adisa Isaac had an early one, um, you know, sacks and back to back games for, for those defensive ends. I think that's really big. Um, but yeah, I mean, Maryland had no answer. Um, you know, they have two pretty solid offensive tackles in Jalen Duncan. Delmar Glaze Uh, they're missing um, uh, left guard Mason Lunsford on the interior and I think kind of what we talked about during the preview in terms of Maryland in these late season swoons that that are you know a pattern for this team you know they're now six and 26 in November since joining the Big Ten and you look at what Penn State has been able to do with its injuries up front um, you know without three starting offensive linemen from week one tonight and they're able to hold their own. It's back-to-back games with without allowing a sack. Uh, and then you look at the other side, a, a program like Maryland that is trying to get up to that level. They could not weather lo- They cannot weather losing guys on that line uh, because of where these two programs are. Um, but in looking at at the Penn State defense, um, I think Manny Diaz has really hit on something these past two weeks. It helps when you're playing these teams like Indiana and Maryland that are just completely overmatched from the jump. But that has to do it. But yep, you guys have to take advantage of it. And they did. I think that you saw the amount of guys that were in the backfield. Uh, even there, just even the plays where Tungavailo is getting chased uh, to his right and just has to throw the ball away. There is a lot of that. And I think that that's just a really good sign. You know, Getting these Havoc plays that we've heard so much about that this Manny Manny Diaz defense was going to be about. It's here, uh, and I think that these past two games have really been kind of the ideal of what you would want to see from this defense this year.
1: Tongo Vailoa had faced Penn State's defense on two other occasions. We talked a lot about leading up to this matchup. The supporting cast he has is, is a pretty impressive group of, of, of some blue-chip prospects, some guys who have gotten it done in, in Big Ten action in the past. And then you look at Hemby, the, the, the young running back, the redshirt freshman who, who came into this game uh, riding some momentum. And I thought he had some, some moments. If anyone had moments on the Maryland offense, it was Hemby. Um, and you throw that all together, and yet 134 total yards on 60 total plays against Penn state. And you mentioned shop Robinson. He was probably the last guy who was going to tell you there was enter extra incentive for him or for this defense going into the matchup, but going into this game and coming out of this game, those who've been around him during this week of preparation told a bit of a different story. And it seemed like there was a little bit of a ripple effect beyond shop Robinson and in that incentive to make sure that they understood what exactly they lost in this sophomore.
2: The, the big thing that, we, that we've heard from the defensive linemen these past two weeks is that when one guy gets a sack, it, it really isn't infectious, that the rest of the guys want to get a sack, um, and that energy is, is contagious. And I think Chop Robinson was the source of that energy this week. Um, after the game, he, he downplayed uh, playing his former team. Um, he said that it wasn't different from any other game. Uh, there are still a lot of guys on the Maryland sideline that he was friends with, that he kept in touch with. Um, that he was on good terms with Um, but then we turn around and a couple minutes later we're talking to Adisa Isaac uh, and and Isaac says oh yeah Chop was really Chop wanted this one and and we knew how much he wanted it um, (coughs) and that this was this was really really important to him Um, and so you know I think that you know when you're playing your former team in these kinds of circumstances I think that you're always trying to, to say the right thing, but we can read between the lines a little bit. And even during the week, um, some of the players that we talked to, I think Adisa, I think we talked to Adisa Isaac earlier this week, and he said Job Robinson was excited. Devon Ali said Job Robinson was excited. I think that these guys knew um, that he wanted to make a statement against his former team, and he did. This was the first multi-sack game of his career. He was a five-star recruit coming out of of Quince Orchard uh, in in Montgomery County. There are super high expectations for him, and I think that this is the type of performance that many people were expecting when he committed to Maryland, when he enrolled there, and then when he transferred to Penn State. And now we're finally getting this with three sacks in the past two games,
1: which gives him four sacks on the season, which is good enough for the team lead at this <laughs> point. And uh, it, it's, I think Franklin mentioned in post game that thirteen different. Penn State players at this stage of of the year have a sack. There's a lot of them that are somewhere between like a half a sack and like 2.5 sacks. Um, Abdul Carter, by the way, got another one today. He's at three and a half sacks. He momentarily had the team lead. And you and I both tweeted within a minute of each other, I think, about the fact that Abdul Carter didn't matter where he was when the play started. By the time the play finished, he seemed to be near the football. He did get the start today. Curtis Jacobs was sidelined. So it was Jonathan Sutherland. Tyler Elston did play. He made his 10th consecutive start at Mike linebacker. This is the third time in four matchups now, Daniel, that we saw Carter get the nod at the wheel linebacker spot. He led this team in tackles today with seven of them. He had the sack, as I mentioned, which gives him three and a half on the season. Uh, He also had a pass breakup. He had a forced fumble. He had two quarterback hurries. He's filling the stat sheet. And what stands out to me is he knows where he's going on the field. And you have to remind yourself, this guy didn't have any college football practices before August. He was ejected on his first defensive snap of the season. We figured he could be a nice supplemental piece, and here we are in crunch time of the Big Ten schedule. You've gotten through some of your bigger opponents, obviously, but you're learning a lot about your football team right now, and I'm learning personally that Abdul Carter is among the top ten players, I feel like, in terms of value to this team during the 60 minutes of football they're playing on a consistent basis Saturday to Saturday. I'm sure – You look between the lines a little bit. You dive a little bit deeper. He's making mistakes that freshmen will make. But it's really hard to ignore the instinctive nature and his ability to close finish plays. And really a guy that has the body language that signals he is in command of what he's doing right now.
2: It was a cool moment where this was the first start for him at home where he was announced as a starter on the video board the Minnesota, uh, and the Ohio state games, they still announced Sutherland Elsden and Jacobs as the starting trio. But Abdul Carter was the first one out. Uh, this, this was the one where he was, you know, got to say his name on the board was announced. Um, and, and he delivered. Um, I think that he had the one quarterback hurry where I, you know, he was chasing Talia Tungavailoa in the open field, making up ground, bearing down on him. Um, that that pass breakup that he had, he was just screaming in off the edge, and and despite be, moving so quickly, was able to get up, get his hands up, knock the pass down. Uh, it, he is, you know, he knows where he wants to go, and he gets there quickly. Um, you know, we'll see maybe at some point if, if someone is able to take advantage of that kind of uh, over, oh, not over eagerness, but that kind of mindset and that. Uh, intensity with a little misdirection Um, but he has just been very very fun to watch this year I think you know we heard such good things about him in the preseason and you always try to maybe temper expectations for a freshman Um, I think that all all of us have been trying to with this freshman class um, in terms of not wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves not wanting to you know overpromise and end up under delivering um, but Abdul Carter is someone who has really risen to the occasion and has just been a lot of fun to watch. Chop uh, Robinson was asked about him uh, and he said that the, the twitchiness reminds him of another number 11, Micah Parsons. And I, that's a comparison that we've heard a lot. And, you know, kind of like I said, you, you never want to get too far out ahead of yourself. You know, when you see that number 11 go out. Uh, it shows what the staff thinks, but you still want to see it in the game. And we've really seen it. Um, I think that you look at this freshman class as a whole. Uh, and I think Abdul Carter is probably right up there uh, behind Singleton and Allen
1: as the, the top freshmen who've, who've really been able to make an impact this year that play where he surged toward the sideline to cut off the angle and then force the fumble. I, I remember turning over to Mark Brennan there and we both agreed there were, there were some Micah Parsons sprinkled in with that moment and he's wearing number 11 and no one's shying away from the comparison. So we're not going to do that either. Um, and it's really impressive what he's doing right now. He, he could finish, uh, this season, as the team's tackles leader, uh, he may end up with only five starts or so. But but that's kind of the way things are are moving in that direction. Um, elsewhere on the defensive side of the football, Adisa Isaac makes it back-to-back weeks with a sack. He's a guy that that I think you saw today, not just on the sack, but the way he's flashing off that edge. It looks a lot different than the player we saw show up on the field at Purdue on September first. Looks probably a lot different than the player we saw October first against Northwestern. And these are the kind of things you want to see, what to witness. The guy's working his way back from a a torn Achilles. And anyone can tell you a torn Achilles, no joke in that recovery process, especially if your job depends on you getting that quick burst off the initial snap. And, And that's what everything comes down to with an edge rusher like Adiza. The other note I wanted to get to here before we forgot all about it was Zariah Fisher got into this ball game, And Zariah Fisher, for those who may have forgotten, a redshirt sophomore, defensive end, out of western Pennsylvania, he was a four-star top 24-7 linebacker in the 2020 class. Came to campus, spent a year as a backup, as a reserve linebacker, took a redshirt, and then last year made that move to defensive end. We saw him in a rotational role. He was a name that we circled coming out of the winter and going it towards spring ball before Chop Robinson was a part of the conversation. Let's recall there. But we said Zarai Fisher, someone they're gonna need to play a lot of football at defensive end. They've had different things happen since then. They brought in Deny Dennis Sutton as a freshman. They brought in Chop Robinson as a transfer. They got Adiza Isaac back healthy. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, Zariah Fisher, who was hurt during spring ball, and, and and James Franklin told us a couple months ago that nothing had really changed with his uh, status, which led us to believe that he was out for the season. Now, Franklin hasn't been asked about that since, and things could evolve, and clearly they have. Worth noting, though, Zariah Fisher back on the football field, plain Big Ten ball, and this is a guy we didn't think would have that opportunity until maybe September of 2023. He could be really important for them next year. I'm not sure what they're going to bring back, what they're going to add off the edge, Daniel, but that was a great sign. You could tell just asking some teammates, uh, really excited to see Fisher back involved in that process and um, certainly ahead of schedule when you kind of base off of the, of the, the conversations that were being had about his status following that spring injury.
2: I think Zariah Fisher was one of the one of the guys that came up in talking to Chuck Losey back in March, uh, bef- before his injury, that during winter workouts, he was someone who had really impressed. And when you looked at that defensive end room in terms of losing Arnold Evichetti, losing Jesse Lucchetta, having some question marks in Smith-Vilbert, Amin Vanover, you know Nick Tarburton being a solid player, you were kind of looking for who could be that potential explosive sacks guy. And I think a lot of us were looking towards Zariah Fisher. Um, to see, to, to be that guy, unfortunately it didn't go that way with his injury, but talking to Adisa Isaac, talking to chop Robinson, um, you know, they seemed excited, um, to see Zariah Fisher back out there, um, that I think Adisa said that, you know, not a lot of guys knew that, that Zariah was in position to play. And so to see him out there, he had a tackle downfield where, where he chased someone down from behind and, and followed up on a play, um, in the, the very brief moment, he looked comfortable out there. And I think that's something that is just you know really big for Penn State, just from an emotional level. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to be seeing Zariah Fisher in the second quarter at Rutgers next week or in the first quarter against Michigan State in two weeks, but they had an opportunity to get him out there um, in a little bit of a, I guess, lower stakes environment, um, something where he could uh, get his feet wet, I think as Adisa Isaac put it get back out there, you know, be comfortable with himself, be confident in his body, uh, and and he was able to do that. This is always kind of the the first test for, for these guys when they come back. Like, P.J. Mustafer has talked about it this year. Adisa Isaac has talked about it this year. And I think that, you know, in, in big picture, it might be pretty good for him to have this experience now instead of, you know, game one, week one, first quarter uh, of a season opener next year.
1: Hey, you're knocking that rust off by the time you're through bowl practice and here in 2022 versus doing that in non-conference play in September of 2023. That is a tremendous difference because that rust doesn't get totally knocked off in spring ball. It doesn't get totally knocked off in August. you got to go up against guys in a different uniform who are out to attack you, and and that's where you really figure out where you are physically. Um, Long story short, last eight quarters of football for Penn State, 25 tackles for loss, 13 sacks. Those are just ridiculous numbers, and they're going to face – and then that Rutgers offense in Piscataway next Saturday, a team that has really struggled to generate any offense against Penn State uh, in, in series history. Uh, so the table is set for another big performance. And you really just focus in on the trenches the last eight quarters, Daniel. And, and then we flip it over to the offense now. Without three guys who were starters for the first five games of this season, you've got other injuries that are impacting your ability to put together and construct a two-deep that you can count on guys are missing practices, guys are missing practice periods. And yet the end result of all this from these two games where both times we were saying, is the offensive line going to hold up? Is this going to be a problem? 450 rushing yards almost in two games, one sack allowed in those two games. Phil Trotwine, take a bow, sir.
2: Definitely. You know, you're, you're down three starting offensive linemen and, and you turn in back-to-back games with zero sacks. You're starting a true freshman um, at, at left tackle. You've got guys in Hunter Norzad and Celine Wormley who have been banged up at times this year and have left games, come back, haven't finished games, have missed games. Um, I think that Penn State has really put something together, and I, there's been a couple times in writing about them and talking about them that you, you kind of get tempted to refer to it as as like a, a patchwork offensive line, or you know they're they're holding things together with duct tape based on all the the movement that there's been, but. It it really hasn't been like that at all. Uh, I think Sean Clifford did a good job today of helping out that offensive line, where he made some really really nice moves in the pocket uh, to step up and avoid a rusher, you know, to get out, get out of the pocket, um, and, and not get taken down behind the line. But I think they're doing a, a really good job in front of him. And Drew Shelton got things for another holding penalty today. Uh, is kind of, but that's really been the only times you've thought about Drew Shelton. Is uh, that he's had two penalties in his two starts, and that's the only time you think about number sixty-six uh, over there at left tackle. You know they've really been able to cycle these guys in. Um, you know it, it, today they, you know, were able to get through the day healthy. There were less in-game movements like there was last week uh, in terms of you know JB Nelson coming in, Hunter Norzad going to right right guard. Um, they were really able to keep that number one unit intact today, which. Through the course of the season you haven't really seen so i think that that is kind of maybe a little underrated aspect of of why they they had such a good game today but i mean phil Troutline has you know he deserves all the credit that that he gets right now i think that he has done a really good job of developing these players and putting them in positions where when they enter a game they're ready they know what they're doing and they all fit together
1: yeah, Phil, Phil uh, runs these tests late in game weeks to get a gauge on where guys are from a game plan perspective and and their their ability to execute play-by-play, play, not just physically, but to know where they have to be and when they need to be there. Um, and it sounds like these younger players in the room are grading very highly. Um, it's something that Hunter Norzad told me after this game. And, and by the way, Norzad has really come into his own as a Big Ten offensive lineman here in the last several weeks, stepping up as the starter at left guard with Lennon Tangwall out. He's a guy who's been battling through the bump and bruises, just like a Salim Wormley is, just like a lot of these guys are at this stage of the season. But you can see Hunter Norzad dealing with something over the past few weeks, and 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 he says that the big thing is, while there is clearly a competitive environment and everybody wants to play, he says a lot of whether the guys are sidelined or whether it's just older guys in the room. Uh, there is a lot of teaching being done, and we've heard it being uh, we've heard about Drew Shelton getting a, a personal left tackle coach in the form of Olu fashion over the last couple of weeks. Caden Wallace it deserves a lot of credit for the way he has worked with Drew Shelton as well. So there was no Caden Wallace today. You know, a, a guy who started at right tackle for the first seven games, I believe it was, um, hasn't been around since an early exit against Minnesota. We did see him working in pregame at left tackle, which was a little bit different. It was Bryce Eftner at right tackle. He stayed there throughout, um, but it was Drew Shelton handling that left tackle role. We did see him play left guard a little bit. Uh, we did see Efner play right guard a little bit, kind of showing the versatility there. Uh, but this is game number four for Shelton. That means the next snap he takes here in 2022, if he does take one, that's going to burn his redshirt status. He would become the 10th freshman in this class to burn that redshirt status. They had two guys do that last year. And Vega Ioane still certainly being tucked away, it would seem. They didn't get him in this matchup late. They had a couple walk-ins involved. One of those walk-ins had a high snap that led to Penn State's only turnover of the day. Um, But it certainly seems like they're going to do what they can to get Vega Ioane maybe into that bowl season and and be able to utilize his game in that postseason. But I got to say, I mean, not just are they getting it done on a week-to-week basis on the offensive line, but they're doing it where the guy who was right tackle the week before is now playing right guard for you or the guy who was your starting left tackle and, and getting all this NFL draft buzz is now watching your team play. And you think about where this team was last year, where you, you felt like you couldn't afford to take a Rashid Walker or a Caden Wallace off the field because of what you were dealing with a tackle. You're taking off what many people across the football industry believe to be the most highly prized offensive tackle prospect that NFL teams will be selecting from next spring. And yet I already said it two games without him, 450 rushing yards, one sack allowed it is just a tremendous storyline that has emerged here for Penn State. And I think you go all the way back to that Ohio State matchup and even the Michigan matchup, as we said. Did they dominate? No. Did they get a stalemate against Michigan? Probably not. But there was a long list of things you could go through before it got to the offensive line and saying, this is why the why the bottom fell out of Michigan. And that's kind of one of those aberration games right now. Because even through the Ohio State matchup, I thought they held up fairly well. That's uh, a very talented defense they're going up against. But against Ohio State in years past, They had not been able to run the ball. That was a complete non-starter. Now this team is running the ball, and they're doing it early, and they're making that kind of the calling card for themselves with these two freshman running backs leading the charge. Two touchdowns for Nick Singleton on fourth and shorts. Both long distance. Those were really special runs, uh, one of which he goes on touch, the other of which uh, he was compared to Secretariat in this press box because of how he was being ridden by the Maryland defender. Um, and, oh, by the way, Catron Allen does his thing, adds, adds uh, almost 80 yards rushing in his own right. I just got to say, the ground game for how much we talked about last year and how much we wondered about it early in September, the question has been answered. And if this is what the identity of Penn State's offense can be, with the new quarterback next year, with some new moving pieces, if they can be this team, they can challenge in a way that they have not really realistically been able to do in the Big Ten and potentially beyond.
2: The, the future is bright. And when you talk about these, th- these contenders, the ability to contend at that next level, it starts in the trenches and both sides of the ball. And I think in the past two weeks, you've seen dominant performances on both sides of the ball. And you look at the final score and it reflects that. I did misspeak about the offensive line. I think I said back-to-back without any sacks. I was conflating that with it was their fourth game of the year of not allowing a sack, um, which I I forget what year it's the most First time since 2011. 2011. So I think that that overall speaks to the fact that there's been all of these guys in and out of the lineup, that you had a left guard rotation for the first month of the season, that there's been a right tackle rotation for a good portion of the season and that's even before you get to these past few weeks. Um I think that that speaks to to the job that the, that this line has done. But at, for the second straight week the running game has looked really really good. Um those fourth and short runs by by Nick Singleton out of the out of the T formation, it was the same play both times. Um <laughs> James Franklin was talking about uh, after the game the the versatility of that short yardage package and and all the things that they can do. Um, then it's kind of funny because it's usually either run left with Katron Allen or run right <laughs> with Nick Singleton. Maybe there's a little throw mixed in there. Um and you know, the past couple of weeks it was running left, but today they ran right. And I think that it really showed kind of the the improvement that we've seen of Nick Singleton's ability um to to stay inside of the tackles because when you you're running that kind of sweep, it can be tempting to, to bounce that because you're already close to the edge, but he kept it in the hole. Uh, he got good blocks. I think on the first one from Katron Allen and Brenton strange and Nick Singleton is someone where when he gets through there, he he's off to the races. Um, yards per carry today i'd been i joked with you that i'd been talking about the past couple weeks that yeah his yards per carry on the season was coming down but that was a byproduct of him really staying inside the tackles and you know still improving even if his stats weren't but today he kind of reminded us of the big play threat uh that he is he hadn't been over 100 yards since the uh since the auburn game in in week Mm -hmm. three He's in line. He's probably in line for another Big Ten Freshman of the Week award on Monday. I'll pre-write that tomorrow afternoon and get that get that locked and loaded in the CMS. But uh, I think that Nick Singleton's ability to continue to run away from Big Ten uh, defensive defenses, from the carry Big Ten defensive backs into the end zone, he is a special player, and he's showing it. He's lived up to the hype, um, and I think that that's been just a really, really big thing. Um, for this this Penn State offense, uh, especially when uh, the the quarterback
1: today wasn't necessarily his sharpest. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild
1: Singleton, by the way, uh, 10 touchdowns now on the ground. That is a a Penn State record for a true freshman. Uh, Noah Kane had held the record with eight of them in 2019, came into this matchup with Singleton and Katron Allen, both at a touchdown. So for now, that record belongs to Nick Singleton. Uh, we'll see if it it changes hands. Katron Allen had a three touchdown game last week, so uh, keep an eye on him. And, And by the way, hit. Some of his runs, it wasn't the most efficient uh, game for Ktron Allen, 73 yards on 16 carries, still 4.6 uh, average, and there were a couple runs there, uh, particularly a 17-yard run where he just, he almost went diagonal to, to just create that space uh, without without uh, halting himself, and I just think it's really impressive to watch him adjust mid-run uh, in a way that, that's just very rare to see, but it's a natural thing. I mean, you can see really impressive running backs show up as freshmen, they can be fast, They can run through people, but they may not have that vision. And oftentimes it's tough to see them develop that in three or four years for Catron Allen to have that show up with it and now fill in the rest of his game around it. That's really exciting. And I think with Singleton, when you come out of a high school career where you could race by everybody, the natural inclination is to look for daylight. I think it's okay. You start to figure out to look for defenders because you're not going to be able to race by every defender. If that defender is in your peripheral, lower that shoulder. And I think we're starting to see Nick Singleton embrace that reality and it's wonderful to see. It's also, you know, every time he takes one of those hits, you're thinking, okay, you got two scholarship guys at running back because Kevon Lee's still not around. But to their credit, they've taken a load of hits during this stretch without Kevon Lee, and they keep playing, and they keep taking the ball, and they keep getting more. It's been quite the odyssey uh, for the last (laughs) four or five weeks of just seeing this Penn State ground game take off with just two scholarship running backs available who are both true freshmen. Talking about that future is bright aspect. That's another big reason why. Um, and when we look at that quarterback spot, you mentioned it. it wasn't a, uh, it was a, a record setting day for Sean Clifford, but it wasn't one of those moments where, where you know, Sean Clifford was the center storyline of the matchup. 12 of 23, 139 yards passing, one touchdown. Uh, he avoided turnovers in this matchup, um, missed some deep shots. Uh, overall, as you said, not the sharpest, but he did set that record. Uh, a lot of respect in the post game, as you'd imagine. Um, but, but Sean Clifford now touchdown record, a passing yards record in Penn State history. Trace McSorley tweeted a congratulatory uh, a message his way. Um, and he is the first Penn State quarterback to ever reach 10,000 yards in his career. Of course, having that bonus year of COVID eligibility uh, to get all this done.
2: Definitely. You go through and you look at the, the target share uh, for, for guys. Uh, he targeted Parker Washington six times, only hit him once. Uh, there were three targets for Keandre Lambert-Smith, only hit him once. Um, I like that they were looking to take those downfield <laughs> shots. I think that that's something that we talked about the past few weeks, about seeing more of a vertical passing game. Uh, including the flea flicker. Yes. Including the
1: flea flicker, yes. I,
2: th- I thought he had Washington on that one. Uh, that was a little nice little razzle-dazzle early. Um, but I think one thing that that Mark Brennan will be really happy about when we talk on Monday is those tight ends were involved again. Theo Johnson three for forty four with a long of thirty three. Brenton Strange three for thirty four with a long of sixteen. He had the first touchdown um, on a pretty nice play by Sean Clifford to extend the play, roll right, um, and really fire it into Strange for for the short touchdown pass. Um, so I think that you, know, you look at you know what what Clifford has done. Um, you know i think a lot of people will highlight the fact that he had the bonus year um that you know he's been around for so long so of course he's going to have these records but there is something to say to still be able to get to that mark you know a lot of a lot of guys have been starting quarterbacks for a very long time in college football um you know very few of them them reach 10,000 yards um i think that you know, Clifford deserves a lot of credit for sticking things out, for still being around and, and still coming out. But, you know, it, today did feel you know, the weather conditions were bad. Last week at Indiana, it was windy. It wasn't necessarily wet. Uh, it was almost like it was so windy that things were dried out. Uh, but today it got really, really wet um, at times with the rain that was moving through. So it wasn't the the best conditions uh, for you know, a, a big passing game, but there were some throws that, that were missed. Um, and, you know, you kind of, you, know, you you think about it, but he avoided those, those big mistakes. He didn't have a first quarter interception this week. You know, there wasn't um, a backbreaking sack, a fumble um, what we've seen. He didn't turn the ball over. So I think that that's, that's, I think that's one of the, the bigger positives you can take out of this for Sean Clifford.
1: It was the game manager kind of, of game. And when you're running the ball the way they are, and, and when you're playing defense the way they are right now, that's all you really need out of the quarterback spot. Um, and I'm sure there were moments there you were where you think, can, can you finish off some of those field goal drives? Can you get some touchdowns out of there? Can you connect through the air? Um, Didn't happen today. Drew Aller did get a long uh, a look at him, but it wasn't a, a very, um, in terms of production, wasn't a very long look at that. Uh, three of six, only six pass attempts. It was about a quarter and a half of work. I guess he got in maybe with less than five minutes to go in, in the third quarter, uh, but it's a situation where you're up by a bunch. Weather's not great. Uh, it wasn't a great showcase moment, although we did get a, a decent amount of snaps for Drew Aller, who's now been in eight of his 10 games. Um, and 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 we'll learn a little bit more about him. I think at Rutgers, I would imagine over the course of that matchup. Uh, one thing to hit on: I mentioned those field goal uh, drives, and and while you never want to finish drives with three points when you have that opportunity to reach the end zone, Jake Pinniger sure is showing up as a dependable guy to get you those three when it's time to cash in. Three of three today from field goals. He tied his career long of 50 yards, which was set just last Saturday at Indiana. He has another one from 46 and then a short distance field goal. At this point, he is six of seven on the season from field goals that are 40 plus yards. He entered this year right around 50 percent from that range.
2: There was a lot of angst back in September after that Central Michigan game where he misses a field goal, misses an extra point. That was the second time he had done that in the first four games of the year. And when the calendar turns to October, you're looking at the Big Ten schedule. You're thinking there's going to be some close games in there, games that could be won or lost on the margins. That hasn't necessarily been the case uh, in, in either direction uh, for Penn State uh, in Big Ten play. But you didn't want to lose a game because of the because of kicking. That was kind of the the fear that you didn't want to lose the game in the third phase in special teams. And Jake Pinniger for a lot of people, I don't think inspired a ton of confidence uh, when it came to his leg. But he has really, really shown up. Um, I think three of his six uh, kickoffs today went for touchbacks, um, one that was returned out of the end zone. Uh, The guy got stopped uh, inside the 20. Um, I think there was another one that probably shouldn't have been returned. And then Maryland had one, one nice return. Um, But he's added stability to that kickoff specialist job. I think that it's clear that he's improved his leg strength uh, over the course uh, of his career to where they have that faith in him to go out and kick it from 50. Um, You know, a guy can't comes into the year and has never made a 50 yarder in a game. And he does it in back-to-back weeks. Uh, I think that that's something that that is really good for Pinneger, uh, is really good for the team, and I think that kind of uh, you know goes back to how James Franklin kind of runs the program in certain ways when when it comes to loyalty. And Jake Pinneger is someone who I think has repaid um, you know the the faith and the confidence that James Franklin has put in him because this is the second week in a row. During a postgame news conference that James Franklin has gone out of his way to shout out Jake vinegar and give him credit for what he's done on the field.
1: Uh, Staying in that specialist room very quickly, we'll keep an eye on Barney Amore. Uh, He did not return to the game uh, after we saw him take a collision that drew a personal foul penalty um, and and kept the Penn State possession alive. Um, We did see then Alex Paquetta, uh, which is interesting because he's a true freshman. He hasn't traveled with the team. This was his college debut. He ended up dropping one inside the 10-yard line. He had a couple inside the 20 so they do have the an option here to review, but uh, Barney Amor, who, 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 who what, you know, shanked the first kick of the day, and we haven't really seen issues from him. And then he has maybe some medical uh, stuff. We're not quite sure, nothing confirmed there, but uh, maybe they just wanted to get a look at Alex Paquetta. But when you time it up with a guy taking a collision like that and then not coming back in the game, just another thing to keep track of medically. <laughs> and when you're in mid-November, that list gets deeper and deeper by the week. And, the offensive line, the linebacker position, now Joey Porter, Kevon Lee, uh, and, and now you got to keep tabs on your punter. Uh, that's the way it is at this late stages of the regular season. Daniel, I think generally speaking, the eight quarters of work we've seen uh, them put up in November for Penn State has answered a lot of questions about the buy-in of this locker room, the value of the leadership, and I think ultimately the ability for the coaching staff to adjust and, and maybe realize what they have, what they don't have what's working, what's not, and what could set the stage and springboard toward the future. Because I think you look at the way they have responded from an absolute ass whooping at Michigan that I don't think any of them, they all own it, but I don't think they want to ever look at that game and say that was the 2022 Penn State football team. They want to say that team got left in the by somehow, didn't get on the plane to Ann Arbor, and that team that showed up wasn't ready, that wasn't them. And to this point, it that, that looks pretty accurate. I mean, they played Ohio State really well, as well as anyone's going to play Ohio State in this regular season, aside from Michigan probably later this month. And then they trounce a couple teams that they're supposed to trounce. They take on a Minnesota team that, that had been really running the football effectively, had a quarterback issue. They were not a problem. So you come out of this, you, t- you face three teams that you're favorite against, and you don't make it any kind of a frustrating performance. It, it's, it's an all-business uh, no doubt about it kind of deal. And then you take on an Ohio State squad that that people think you're going to lose by a couple touchdowns to on your home field, and instead you're leading them with nine minutes remaining in the matchup. So I know there was a lot of pressure on James Franklin and a lot of external noise about here we go again. Here comes that October-November spiral. They have avoided it, and they have come out of it looking like a team that's poised to finish this, team sh- this season strong and go into the offseason viewed as a – Team on the rise, which is right where you want to be if you're James Franklin after an 11-11 combined record the last couple of years.
2: I think it goes back to something that that I've thought about a little bit where uh, when you're in the the course of the season, when you're going week to week, it can be really hard to kind of take the step back uh, and to kind of think, okay, from the 30,000 foot view, how does this look? We're at the five hundred foot view, even the one hundred foot view. Sometimes, with with the different things that we're looking at, like the health of the punter in November. Um, <laughs> but but when you do take that step back to the thirty thousand foot view, um, I think that just kind of squaring up the fact that depending on how these last two games go against Rutgers and Michigan State, depending what happens in the bowl game, Penn State is still. I still has the opportunity to win 11 games after winning 11 games in the previous two years combined. I know that some people want big 10 titles every year. Uh, Some people want national championships every year, but I do think that there is something about that um, that kind of marks that, okay, Penn state has its feet back under it. Um, This is it's kind of returned to where it was in 2019, and there is a springboard. There is a platform that, that you can build off of to move forward. Uh, I think that it can be hard to kind of look at things like that uh, because a lot of people aren't going to forget uh, what happened in the Michigan game. A lot of people aren't going to forget what happened in that seven-minute stretch in the fourth quarter against Ohio State. Um, but really, I mean, that's 67 minutes of a 10-game sample that we have now uh, where things were kind of truly off the rails uh, for Penn state, given these past two years, I think there were a lot more than 67 minutes, um, over the course of those seasons. So I think that things are trending in the right direction. I think a lot of it goes back to the talent that they've brought onto the roster when you look at this freshman class, but it does go into the buy-in it does go into how this locker room has been able to, you know, navigate, uh, those losses to Michigan and Ohio state, um, I think PJ Mustafer is someone that we've heard a lot about. Jair Brown is someone that we've talked to after some losses this year. Um, I think that there's really, and we've heard a lot about Sean Clifford
1: too. Right. I think, that I think we. I mean, we gotta give. We gotta mention Clifford there. I mean, we yeah. Just ha- I mean, we, we can talk all we want and parse through what he does on the football field, but time and time and time and time again, it's not just lip service. I mean, the guy is a stabilizing factor, and, and there may be people in that building who think he may not be the best quarterback on the roster right now. But they damn well know he may be the best leader in that room right now. And he's someone that has everyone's command. And and I think that's, you know, you got to tip your hat because he was as low as anybody else on this team in terms of where they were coming out of the Michigan matchup or where they were coming out of the Ohio State matchup. And it it may not be pretty all the time, but they're getting it done. Exactly.
2: I I think that the leadership has just done such a good job of – not letting the Indiana loss in 2020 turn into a five game losing streak, Not letting the Iowa loss turn into an Illinois loss uh, with, and then the season going down the drain last year. Um, I think that it's it's really good to see. Uh, and I think that it's something that will have diff- will pay off for the the program moving forward to be able to have the younger players see how this veteran leadership navigated this to see what they've done. Um, there's a lot of belief. There's a lot of buy-in. I think just something like how Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson responded to the fact that Zariah Fisher uh, got to play. I think that that kind of shows where this team is at uh, from a personality perspective. Um, and I think that those intangibles it, I mean, there's a reason that they're, they're intangible. It, it's hard to pin down exactly how it works, uh, mm-hmm. but it is something that is working for Penn State right now and and has been a value add for them.
1: And those intangibles are so important at this point in the year because you have locker rooms across the country where guys are thinking transfer portal, guys are thinking NFL draft, guys are thinking, get me out of here, I want to play more. But if you are in a situation where you have a role and you feel like you can sense how your role is going to develop and move forward and you love the guys around you, and you can start to look toward next year at the end of the season rather than looking toward the exit door, I think that's where they're at right now. they got a lot of guys who are going to be excited to look towards next year doing it again with the same group rather than guys just trying to get to the finish line, trying to get to the end of the season. Because you look across college football right now, there's a lot of guys just trying to get to the end of the season so they can move on with their lives. It feels like the investment is here. And that's going to set them up well going out of this year. James Franklin's always going to be judged by the Michigan and Ohio State matchups because those are the matchups that he places. I know he says one and all every week, but we know where he wants to be in the Big Ten. He's not shy about that. And those are the two teams right now that are up top, specifically Ohio State. But the big thing here, Daniel, is they have avoided losing to everyone else. And, in fact, they have avoided messing around, really, with everybody else. They were in a dogfight week one against Purdue – It was a sloppy game against Northwestern, even though it really never seemed in doubt. And against everybody else, though, they are handling their business. And I thought that was the key part of this November. Regain that separation from the pack in the Big Ten. Don't let anyone look at things muddled and and say that Penn State's falling down into another tier or there's some gray area where they may be training in that direction. I think right now what they're doing is reasserting themselves as as a separate uh, entity from a lot of the teams across the conference right now. They'll have an opportunity to do that against Rutgers. And against Michigan State, I'm still wary of Michigan State as they finish out the season. I think they're a bit of a wild card team, but Penn State's going to be in the driver's seat both those weeks. And I think when you put their body of work out there and you kind of uh, tabulate who belongs in which bowl games, yeah, the Michigan game was ugly, but it's going to be a while back and Michigan's going to finish real strong. They may be in the college football playoff for the second straight year, and people are going to really respect that Ohio State win in retrospect. So. They're set up pretty well here. I know that the, the 48 hours after a loss on our message board on this podcast, they're tough. We got to deal with some stuff. We got to get on the therapy couch and all that kind of stuff. But, like you said, big picture, this team's eight and two. It's right there from them at 10 and two. This is the exact kind of scenario. Unless you were going dream big <laughs> back in August, this is exactly probably where you hope the Penn State football team is because it's not just current success, Daniel, it's current success with future pieces. And in college football, that makes all the difference for getting the fans excited, for getting the recruiting, uh, getting your recruitment excited, and for keeping guys in your own roster. Because there's plenty of programs out there that see this Penn State team succeeding, and they might be thinking, oh, we might want a player from that team. Do everything you can to make sure guys are comfortable. Part of that is the buy-in. Part of it's winning. Right now, they're combining the two, and I think they're in a really good spot. It feels like the program is in a better place than it's been in a while. And I don't want to set them up to, to go and, and have a slump now here in November, but it does feel like they're poised to finish uh, this season a little bit like 2019, where in 2019 it wasn't just the fact that they won 11 games. They won 11 games with a lot of players who were coming back, and we thought that was going to be Journey Brown. We thought that was going to be Micah Parsons. That, that following off season is always going to be a major what-if in James Franklin's tenure here at Penn State because it felt like he had the right formula, felt like he had the right roster in place to build, he may get that chance with this 2023 team coming out of 2022. So captivating stuff. We can, you know, you can always think long term, but we'll keep it there for now. We'll come back on Monday, uh, break it down uh, what we saw from Maryland matchup. Upon further review, uh, start to take a little bit of a peek at some of these personnel questions that have popped up. Anything else to add before we get out of here, Daniel?
2: I think on the injury front, something that that popped into my head. Uh, Mark Brennan was there in Beaver Stadium early and and saw Curtis Jacobs uh, on the field going through a workout uh, with a trainer before team arrival. Uh, Obviously, Curtis Jacobs didn't play, but I think to see him going through something before the game, um, I think that that bodes uh, a little bit well. Um, And Joey Porter Jr., uh, James Franklin said it was a non-football injury uh, situation that uh, that they're planning to work through, and that they're hopeful to have him back soon. So uh, those are two big, two big starters uh, to not have um, on your defense. Ultimately, it didn't matter Saturday, um, but it, it. I think that those will be something that we'll we'll monitor this week. We'll be back out there at, at practice on Wednesday and have a little bit uh, better of an idea before Rutgers.
1: Final stretch of the season, follow along at lines 247com We have a bunch more coming your way here on the podcast as another game week gets underway. A follow along for recruiting as well. Tyler Calvaruzzo has a bunch. There were some basketball prospects on campus, certainly football prospects in Beaver Stadium. Some feedback from both of those uh, dynamics as well up at lines247.com. Big thanks to Daniel Gallen. Big thanks to everyone for tuning in to listen to our post game podcast. This was number 10 in the books. We'll be back soon with a new edition of the Lions 24 7 podcast. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus.